In the morning and in the evening, it was his job to go and bring in the cows for the milking. And uh, one evening as he walked out to pick up the cow, to bring in the cows, as boys do, he picked up some stones and was rubbing them in his, in his hands and uh, he was throwing one at this and throwing one at that and then he found this beautiful smooth stone. And uh, anybody that's got male veins running at all know that really nice flat stones, you get them and you just skim them along on top of the water or if you send them through the air they fly like nothing and so he saw he had this one and he saw granddad's geese all over there and he was going to send this and just whiz it over the top of the geese and unfortunately for young Walter the stone just came down a whisker too low and hit one of granddad's favorite ganders right on the side of the head and uh, the poor old gander, he whirled around a few times, fell on the ground, gave a bit of a kick and uh, became very still. And Walter ran up to him, but the poor old gander was dead. What should he do? So with a troubled conscience, he hurried off to do the, get the cows in. That was the best thing to do never said anything to anybody, hoped that no one had seen him. And uh, when he returned with the cows, he saw his grandmother and she had already started plucking all of the feathers because uh, on the farm you don't waste those sort of things and they were for stuffing pillows, etc. And uh, unfortunately, he also spotted Grandad. And there was Grandad, he had a stern look on his face declaring that he was going to kill the old turkey gobbler because uh, he'd examined the dead gander and saw this mark in the side of his head and he thought for sure that the old turkey gobbler had come up and uh, killed his gander. So Walter was stunned. He didn't know what to do. But he stood there silently and watched Grandad catch the old turkey gobbler, took him to the chopping block, and he closed his eyes, and we all know what happened next. Um, and so when he opened his eyes, there was the turkey gobbler's head on the ground. And so when the holidays were over, he went back home and went off to school. But what he had done stayed there in his mind. He said, when I grew up, and his grandparents, of course, had died, Walter said that this troubled him. Grandma, granddad, that picture of granddad blaming the old turkey gobbler and cutting off his head. Somebody else paid for it. And by his remaining silent, he had failed to tell the truth. And so this stayed with him. And uh, he said that he determined that he would always come to that conclusion, that he would always tell the truth, irrespective of what the consequences were going to be. And so I was just thinking this morning, there's probably um, a few Walters amongst us this morning. Ladies don't get up to that stuff, but 
There's probably a few Walters amongst us this morning. There's probably one standing in front of you and uh, failed to do what their conscience said for them to do. And I'm sure you'd agree with me, we wish we could go back and change, change the past. So I'd like to begin this morning by asking a question and then like to look at three possible answers to the question or three aspects of the question and then we'll close with another question. So if you and I were just sitting down and I'll just look at my brother here who prayed this morning, um, this is the sort of conversation we'd have sitting out by a campfire somewhere when you know people are talking heart to heart. What do you do when you kill the gander? Scenario number one. So you've done something really bad, not just having an extra glass of cordial, but you've hurt someone. You've sinned in the sense that someone who God loves and appreciates, and maybe even somebody who you deeply appreciate, has been hurt and hurt deeply. What do you do? How do you do something with that? Unfortunately, if you're in the habit of saying grace at meals and praying regularly, they find it hard to confess their sin. And so at lunchtime, grace becomes a bit of a mental battle with God. Words come out, you're not really able to think properly about them. And then you start thinking, no, I did it deliberately and there's no forgiveness for deliberate sins, no sacrifice for deliberate sin. So that night as you kneel by your bed or wherever to pray, what do you do? Well, we pray for the missionaries and the Bible workers. We pray for the teachers and the preachers and the worldwide field and all the sick and all those in hospital. We preach a whole lot of vain repetitions. But we can't come to grips with the thing that we have done. And after two or three days or a little bit longer struggling with all this, one day he just blurts out, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. Or maybe in an oversimplification, this happens, and this is scenario number two. I remember going to, to the shows when we were kids, and of course growing up on a farm, there was nothing much of sweetness involved apart from fruit off the trees. And I remember the first time we went and there was this great big glass thing and it was full of all of this pink bubbly stuff and uh, begged to get a packet of this stuff. And when I got it, you know, you put it in your mouth, you put a whole big mouthful in and what happens? It just almost dissolves. It's like some of that bread in America. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's a fairy floss technique in dealing with sin. We have that thinking that God is okay forgiving sort of smaller stuff, but you 
don't want to bring the real bad stuff, the David stuff, to God. And so the fairy floss technique is about making your sins small enough for God to be able to deal with them. And so we, uh, we settle in this way that if I can bring it small enough, God will deal with it. So I find myself, after the gander set up, I find myself saying things like this. Yes, Lord, I did do it, but I was really tired and stressed at the time. And besides, I'm on medication. And Lord, you know that even I'll blame my brother Eric this morning. Eric does stuff like that. Uh, I've seen him. And uh, so I'm, see, I'm trying to make it small and everything. Uh, and then, of course, the big one, well, Lord David was a sinner. And Lord, do you think this sin is small enough now for you to handle? Is that how we deal with sin? Or maybe scenario number three. You decide that your sin is so big that immediately you've killed the gander and you go to grandpa and confess straight away. We go to God and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I was a fool to do that. I've disappointed you and I've disappointed myself. And 15 minutes later, you're back confessing it again. Lord, I am so sorry that I did that. Will you forgive me? And an hour later, the emotion arises and you say, Lord, can you please forgive me for what I have done? And we deal with our sin by multiple confession over and over again. And the story comes to mind of a young couple I read about and uh, they were in a restricted, one of these restricted apartments with no backyard or garage to do anything and were, the dad was a bit of a uh, self-confessed handyman. He made a TV cabinet and uh, so the only place to make it was in the lounge. So he put down some stuff on the floor and got all that done and then it came to the staining of it and he'd gone down to Bunnings and picked out some nice stain for it and uh, was uh, put out the newspaper around it and was in the process of staining it and the phone rang. And he had his little two, three-year-old boy there with him and so the first thing he said to him when the phone rang was, don't touch the tin of stain. Okay, Daddy. And he got involved in the phone call and when he finished the phone call, you know what happened, eh? The son was crying and he knew what had happened. The whole tin of stain had turned over on the carpet. So dad took his little son and told him just how naughty he'd been and paddled his canoe. This is a story before the things changed. So later on he said to his dad that afternoon, Daddy, I'm really, really sorry that I spilt the stain on the carpet. Dad said, son, it's okay. And you know, Daddy's really sorry too that I got upset with you. And besides, here's the important bit, we got it all cleaned up before Mummy got home. <laughs> so we're all okay. And Dad thought it was okay. But it was only an hour or so later 
and his son comes up, Daddy, I'm really, really sorry that I spilt the stain. And he says, Son, it's okay, just forget about it. But that night, when they're kneeling to have prayer by his little bed, he snuggles up real close to Dad. And uh, while it's all quiet, and he says, Daddy, I'm really, really, really sorry that I spilt the stain on the carpet. How does Dad feel at this point? How does Dad feel? Well, he feels like a real heel. He feels, and we've got a slide with this. If you take nothing home from today, please take this. He feels so hurt because Dad recognises that his son can only understand his own guilt and his own feelings. He is unable to penetrate what is in Dad's mind. I'll read it again. He feels so hurt. That's dad feels so hurt because he recognises that his son can only understand his own guilt and his own feelings and he's unable to penetrate his father's mind. If only we could see what was in our father's mind, how much better we would feel and how much better this little boy. If only he could see dad's mind, picture there, forgiven. Now one of the reasons that we have difficulty coping with our sin and confessing it to God and dealing with it is because we struggle with that very thing there. We don't understand the mind of God. And you know, uh, if we could see what and really grasp what God is like. You know, you remember Moses? Moses, you know, the one man who was, we'd say, one of the closest people to God who walked this earth and did all those marvellous things and saw all those marvellous things. And he said, Lord, show me your face you know you can talk with someone on the phone you can do a whole lot of stuff but when you get face to face you pick up all the feeling it's all all happens there and this is what Moses wanted and God responded uh, in Exodus 34 and verse 6 and he says to him God delights in mercy he is revealing himself and he begins by saying his name, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. If only I, if only we could believe, really believe what God says about himself. Or what about this young Jewish boy? You know about him. He leaves home, goes into the far country. He loses his honour, the family honour. He's really down. All his money's gone. The visa's filled up. No more left. And so he gets a job with a Gentile, which was a big humiliation for a Jew to start with. 
And the Gentile says, ah, I've got the job for you, young Jewish boy. You like pigs, don't you? Well, I've got a job for you on my pig farm. And so he swallows his pride and he takes the job working with pigs. And finally the day comes that he's lost so much of his self-respect that he wishes that he was actually a pig so he could get in and eat the food because they had food to eat that he didn't. And so this boy who wished he was a pig finally comes to his senses and he remembers dad and he remembers home and he heads back. And I want to read to you, look at this next text. It's one of the most amazing verses of scripture. In Luke 15, 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Almost unbelievable, isn't it? These texts we read and sometimes they just become verses that we learn off. You know, we see God and we should see him high and lifted up as we've been studying in Revelation. God upon his throne was surrounded by thousands and thousands of angels, etc., etc. But would you describe God as running to meet the sinner? Jesus does. Jesus reveals his father here as running to meet the worst of sinners. That makes us feel better. We're not as bad as that young boy. So he's running to meet the worst of them. His father saw him at the recognition, compassion arises and he throws his arms around a filthy, stinking pigsty boy and it says he kissed him. Have you been kissed by God? You have if you've done something really bad and have finally come face to face with God and looked into his eyes and confessed what you've done wrong. Breathe that sigh of relief and felt the weight just Lift off your shoulders and it's gone. If that's happened, my friends, you've been kissed by God. If only we could grasp the Father's mind like the, the little boy with the tin of stain. And let me just say something else while we're on this parable about the elder brother. You know, there's always people who get upset when forgiveness seems to be easily attained. They think that it's all going to fall apart. Older brothers are people who cannot understand it when heaven rejoices. They can't grasp what God really says about himself. Older brothers are people who are unwilling to accept their fellow man as a brother because the brother says to the father, when this son of yours, not when my brother comes back, but when this son of yours, suddenly it's his father's son, not his own brother. You are an older brother when you're working in the field for a farm that's already yours. 
because the Bible says when the father divided his goods, he divided it unto them. Can you imagine anything as silly, anything as foolish as spending years and years trying to earn a farm that's already yours? An older brother is someone who cannot understand that the father would kill a fatted calf just for them. But then there's the father, my friends. And let's try and grasp this. It is the glory of God to forgive you, to forgive me when we've done something wrong, irrespective of what it is. It is his glory. That is God's business. If we were talking today in a business context, God is in the forgiving business, my friends. That's his business. Uh, now, I'm not belittling sin in any way at all this morning. Sin is dangerous. But it is not dangerous because God runs out of patience with us. It is dangerous because we run out of patience and understanding with God. What a marvellous thing to understand what Jesus says. I will, and I think, looking for names and faces, uh, was it Jenny here this morning? Said, you know, God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what Jesus says. I will never, that means not ever, leave you nor forsake you. We do the leaving and we do the forsaking. So my fellow sinner this morning, don't give up. Don't fall to pieces because you've killed the gander. Ellen White says, and I paraphrase, that we will need to pray the Lord's Prayer until Jesus comes. So that keeps us in mind of our st status and standing. God is hanging on to you, and God has got a very strong grip. Sometimes we don't understand because about God and forgiveness because we don't understand the basis of forgiveness. Our last text this morning, 1 John 1.9, is so well known. Uh, it's the best known forgiveness verse in the Bible, I guess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So from that one could conclude that for confession causes forgiveness. So then, if that was the case, my task would be to convict God of my, by my confession to forgive me. So I really had to show God that I was really, really, really sorry. And the more sorry I was, the more likely God would be to forgive me. And so my prayers would become a wrestling match with God, trying to get him in a half Nelson to squeeze forgiveness from him by confession. The text, my friends, and it's still on the screen there for us, it does not say because we confess our sin, but it says if we confess our sins, if he is faithful and just, 
God is faithful and just, my friends, to forgive us if we will come and ask for that forgiveness. Confession doesn't cause forgiveness. Confession claims forgiveness. There's a world of difference between the two. Why does God forgive my sins? Why does God forgive sin? Because he wants to. That's grace. But because Jesus died for my sin. That is why God forgives. The basis of forgiveness does not reside in me or in you, irrespective of how good we think it we are. It doesn't reside in us. It's not because I have repented enough or confessed enough. God forgives me because Jesus died for my sin. What a marvellous thing. There is no sin, no matter how great or how small, that he didn't die for. So that everything needed for forgiveness is in place. Forgiveness is not something that we create. Forgiveness is something by his grace that we claim. So in closing this morning, a little simple story from Canberra to illustrate, oversimplify, I guess. A family were visiting the Canberra War Memorial and this young boy who'd always been fascinated with all the gear of, of war uh, just loved this and fell in love with it and he comes back out probably about Walter's age and he says to the receptionist, he says, I would like to buy this place. And uh, he puts his hands in his hand in his pocket and he pulls out his coins and he counts out $3.40 and puts on the desk and the lady said, I'm sorry, that's not enough. And he hunts around and he finds another nine cents. And the receptionist said, look, that's still not enough. There's three things that you need to understand. The first one is that you don't have enough. $3.40... 340, 340,000, 340 million, you don't have enough. The second thing you need to understand is that it's not for sale. And the third thing is, because you're a citizen of Australia, it's already yours. You own it. You see, my friends, sometimes we come to God with our $3.40 worth of confession and the Lord says to us it's really not enough to buy my forgiveness and besides my forgiveness isn't for sale and because you're a child of God it's already yours so the basis for forgiveness is the cross of Jesus Christ and so I close with the question this morning what value do you place on Calvary's cross? May God bless you as you contemplate.